Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. Hey, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14 today. We're back in Mark 14. This is our third sermon in the series on the way. And uh, we're going to finish out the gospel of Mark in this series together. And our goal is to understand as we look at this last week of Jesus' life, when he's on his way to the cross, what it means for us that we are on the way with him. You know, the way, those on the way, that's the earliest name by which Christians were known. That was weird. And... um, That's the earliest name by which Christians were known, those on the way. We're trying to understand what that means for us. And so the first week in this series, we talked about forgiveness and the connection between my relationship to others and my relationship to God. And it turns out if I'm having a hard time forgiving others, I'm probably going to have a hard time connecting to God because the nature of my relationship to God is forgiveness. It's the fabric of that relationship. And then last week, we went a little bit deeper into that fabric we talked about that when it comes to Christianity, Christianity is not about rules that I follow or I check off. It is about a person, Jesus, who I'm trying to be loyal to, who I want to honor, who I want to please. And of course, when I dishonor Jesus, his response to that betrayal is not like mine would be. You know, I'm, I don't know if you remember, I'm, I'm the Godfather. And so we had this movie night. Sean Gearson put together this movie night on the front lawn Friday night, and uh, dads brought their kids, and there was a kid walking up, and he says, hey, dad, it's the Godfather. And I said, don't you forget it, young man. All right, so, um, but Jesus responds to my betrayal with affection and forgiveness. It's in this chapter when Jesus is betrayed by the people closest to him that he prepares a meal that we still take every week, a meal of forgiveness how different the Father's heart is from mine. And so I want to go a little bit deeper this morning. We're going to look inward. We're going to examine ourselves and ask ourselves, what is it in me that might lead me to do the thing I never thought I would do? Okay, that's where we're going today. And to do that, we're going to look at one of my favorite characters in Scripture, Peter. We're going to pick up in Mark 14, verse 27. Jesus said to them, you will all falter in your faithfulness to me. It's written, I will hit the shepherd and the sheep will go off in all directions. But after I am raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even if everyone else stumbles, I won't. But Jesus said to him, I assure you, on this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter insisted, even if I must die alongside you, I won't deny you. And then they all said the same thing. Have you ever said at some point in your life, I won't ever do something that you ended up doing? Uh, How many of you said at some point, I won't ever be like my parents? How's that going for you? Uh, you know what something I said when I was growing up? I said, I won't ever drive a minivan. 
And now I look at all of you chumps with doors that swing on hinges. I laugh at you. I want too many vans if I could have one. I said, you know what? I said one thing. I said growing up, I said, looking at my father, I said, I won't ever wear socks with sandals. And now I do that every day because you can let your feet air out and keep them warm at the same time. It's genius. Like why, why doesn't everybody do socks with sandals? How many of you have said at some point, I won't do something that you've done? Right, probably most of us. And I think there's, like, those, those two words, I won't, there's a lot of power in those words. I mean, I think about when you might say those words to emphasize the boundaries in your life. I won't cheat on my spouse. I won't treat my kids this way. I won't look at those websites. Like, there's, there's a lot of power in those words. I won't. There's also a lot of danger in them. Or danger in what's going on inside us that sometimes lead us, leads us to say those words. In fact, I don't know if there's a more dangerous thing that you could possibly say than this. Even if everybody else blank, I won't. Even if everybody else does that, I won't. Which is, of course, exactly what Peter says. Even if everyone else stumbles, I won't do it. So here's what I think. I think there is something going on inside Peter that leads him to say that and then allows him to end up doing what he says he'll never do. And so let me just assume that there are some people in this room. I mean, I think probably most of you know the Peter story. A couple of you might not. So let me just set this scene in context, okay? Um, This is the last week of Jesus' life. He is arrested here shortly. And Peter is one of the closest guys in Jesus' life. He's a part of the 12 apostles, which were these 12 guys who went with Jesus everywhere that he went. But Peter's not just a part of the 12. He's a part of an inner circle. There's just a couple of those guys that are especially close to Jesus. And Peter's one of them. And Peter's the first person, the first follower of Jesus to say, you are the Christ to Jesus. You're the king. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the one we've been waiting for. So he understands Jesus better than most. But then Jesus says, after that meal of forgiveness that he shares with the disciples, he says, hey, all of you are going to betray me. And Peter looks around at all those other guys and he thinks, these chumps might, but not me. Even if everybody else stumbles, Jesus, I won't. But then everybody else does stumble. And suddenly Peter's alone, isolated, embarrassed, afraid. And he does the very thing he says he would never do. Three times. Let's just read that part of the story and then we'll unpack it. This is in verse 66. We're going to jump forward. Meanwhile, Peter was below in the courtyard And a woman, one of the high priest's servants, approached. She saw Peter warming himself by the fire, and she stared at him, and she said, you were also with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand what you're saying. And he went outside into the outer courtyard, and a rooster crowed. And the female servant saw him, and she began a second time to say to those standing around, this man is one of them. But he denied it again. And a short time later, those standing around again said to Peter, you 
you must be one of them because you're also a Galilean. But he cursed this time. He swore. I don't know what you're talking about. And at that very moment, a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered what Jesus had told him before. A rooster crows twice. You will deny me three times. And he broke down sobbing. So I don't think Peter was lying. I think he genuinely thought he would never do that. And so he's wrong. You know, it turns out he's wrong. He's capable of doing what he thought he would never do. But why? Like, what is it in Peter that disposes him, predisposes him to be wrong? Like, what is it inside him that leads him to end up doing this thing he thought he would never do? And the clue is in what he says, that same line we re repeated a couple times, even if everybody else stumbles, I won't. What's he doing there? He's comparing himself to the people around him. And based on that comparison, he has a warped sense of himself. So he's comparing himself to everybody else around him. And based on that comparison, he sees himself wrongly. You know what we call that? We call that pride. Um, and here's why. Pride is, by nature, comparison-based. Now, think about it. Stick with me for a second. I'm not proud that I am rich or good-looking or important. I'm proud that I'm richer, better-looking, and more important than others. Because if everybody was as rich or as good-looking or as important as me, then I wouldn't have anything to be proud about. Are you, are you tracking with me? If, if everybody was on a level playing, for, a playing field, then I would be unjustified in any pride. And so pride is by nature comparison-based. Okay, so think about the world that we're living in. How many times you checked your phone this morning and looked at social media? How many times you'll look at it this afternoon? And what we talk about often when it comes to social media is like that it's this, this vehicle for introducing envy and jealousy into your life as you look at the lives of all those around you. Well, envy and jealousy are only made possible because of your pride. Like you only resent what someone else has or the way they look because you think you should look or have better. Right? So this is why pride has been called the great sin. You may remember in the history of the church, there's what's called the seven deadly sins. And it's pictured like a tree with these seven branches growing off the tree. What you may remember is that the trunk of that tree, the, the sin from which all other sins are made possible is pride. It's the great sin. It's what makes every other sin possible. It's this distorted sense of who I am based on comparison of myself with others. It's the great sin. Um, several of you have asked me, if I'm listening to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Have any of you listened to this podcast? Okay, so let me tell you about the podcast. Yes, I'm listening to it. The podcast, the podcast tells the story of this church and the pastor of that church. This was a church plant that started in the late 90s, and it grew to be one of the biggest churches in America throughout the early 2000s till about the mid 2010s, 2014. One of the biggest churches in America, 14 to 15,000 people part of this church. And the story, though, tells, kind of goes under, you know, behind the scenes and focuses in on the pastor of this church, who, as the church becomes more and more successful, becomes, well, 
we might say he, he grows a distorted sense of who he is. And this is, there's this great scene in the podcast where he gets into the car with two of his cameramen. He's got cameramen that follow him everywhere. And he gets in the car with two of his cameramen after somebody asked for his autograph. And they're laughing about a preacher giving an autograph. And he says, well, I'm kind of a big deal, which is a quote from Anchorman. And the cameraman starts laughing, but nobody else in the car is laughing. It's like this clue that he doesn't see himself like he should anymore. There's this scene in the the podcast where he takes his camera crew to the Holy Land to film a little Bible study series that you might watch online and watch in your small group. And uh, they're shooting all day. It's in the heat in the Holy Land. And so at the end of the day, they load up onto the bus and they go to this hotel, this resort, and it's a water park. And that like the whole camera crew can see there's water slides and jacuzzis and these big pools and kids running around everywhere. And they're like, yes, we're going to get to stay here. And the, the hotel's called the Aqua Fantasy. And they pull up to the Aqua Fantasy and the guys are fist bumping because they're so happy. And the pastor gets up and he goes, well, guys, this is my stop. I'll see you all tomorrow. He gets off and goes to the Aqua Fantasy and they go stay at this flea bag, mildew ridden hotel. So the other day, Russ Terman, our media minister, and I, we go to Harding School of Theology where they're hosting a, a conversation about this podcast, which is one of the things I love about this school and our partnership with them. We go around the room introducing ourselves and Russ goes before me and he says, hey everybody, I'm Russ Terman. And if Eric ever stays at the Aqua Fantasy and I don't get to, we're gonna have problems. That was how he introduced me to the, to the room. Uh, okay, what's the story about? Like the story is about how pride isn't just a problem that like politicians or entertainers, Hollywood people deal with. Like pride is a problem that pastors and ministers have. Uh, pride is a problem that, that's inside everybody. It's like in here working on me all the time. In that podcast, when that church of 14 to 15,000 falls apart overnight, no longer exists, like you, it's hard not to think about what we read in Proverbs that pride comes before disaster and arrogance before the fall. And the point is that like pride is not the thing that ruins me. Pride is what makes it possible for something else to ruin me. So let's talk about Peter again. You know, Peter says, even if everyone else stumbles, I won't. But then everyone else stumbles and suddenly Peter is alone. He's isolated. And pride does not handle isolation well. I mean, I can't tell you how many calls I've gotten during the pandemic of somebody who did something during this last 18 months, who they said they would never do. Why? Because they were isolated. They were separated from the Christian community. And when we are isolated, we're able to do what we thought we never would. Or maybe it's embarrassment. You know, you may remember in Mark chapter 3 that when Jesus calls the apostles, including Peter, what does he call them to? He calls them to be with him. That's the calling of discipleship, to be with Jesus. Well, when this woman sees Peter there after Jesus has been arrested, do you remember what she says? You are also with the Nazarene Jesus. In a roundabout way, she's saying this discipleship thing, you were doing it right. And suddenly he's embarrassed of that. And I'll tell you, if there's something that pride does not handle well, it's embarrassment. And so suddenly he's able to do what he thought he never would do. Or maybe it's disappointment. You know, if you read the Gospels, Jesus again and again says, I'm going to die. Hey, guys, just so you know, 
I'm going to die. And you know the person who's always saying, no, you're not, Peter, again and again. And so now Jesus is arrested. It looks like he is on his way to death. What is Peter feeling? Probably disappointment. This is not the way it was supposed to go. Man, and pride is that thing inside of us that allows us to be disappointed with everybody else around us and never realize how much we are disappointing others. You got somebody like that in your life? Always disappointed in everybody else and unable to see how they're disappointing you or others. That's pride. Or maybe it's fear. You know, he's certainly afraid of what they're going to do to Jesus. I think Peter's more afraid of what they're going to do to him. Uh, He's guilty by association, so he's trying to disassociate himself from Jesus. He denies him. He denies him three times because he's afraid. So it's not that it's, it's pride that ruins him, but it's pride that allows something else to come into my life and cause me to do the thing I never thought I'd do. You know, discipleship isn't just about being with Jesus. It's about how we are with Jesus. And Jesus makes it really clear about how we're supposed to do that. This is what he says in Mark 8. All who want to come after me or be with me must say no to themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You know, that, that phrase, say no to themselves, you know what the actual word is? Deny. Anybody who doesn't want to deny themselves, sorry, doesn't want to deny me, must deny themselves. You don't want to deny me. You got to deny yourself. So, I mean, what's he talking about there? He's talking about humility, right? Like if pride is this problem, we know that humility is the solution. The thing is, humility is really hard to come by. Larry McKenzie, one of our longtime ministers here, just recently retired, has told this story countless times in our staff meetings. And I'll, I'll tell you too. He said there was a man. There was a man who was voted most humble man in town. So they gave him a badge. And when he wore the badge, they took it away. I laughed a lot harder at that when Larry told it. And if Larry was up here, y'all would have laughed. That's a good preacher joke, right? Humility is hard to come by. It's this hard thing to like aspire to. I want to be humble. Because the moment you pursue it, right, there's this pride. And yeah, I have achieved it. I'm, I'm so humble now. But here's what we know about humility, that humility is the way that Jesus often ministers to us. And it's often the way he ministers through us, too. So let me take you back to Peter's story and remind you how the story ends. Peter's, um, after Jesus is killed and resurrected, Peter's still dealing with the weight of betraying him, denying him three times. His pride has not been able to reconcile that. He did what he thought he would never do. How many of you have been there? And so he's aimless. He doesn't know what to do. So do do you know what he ends up doing? He goes fishing. He goes fishing. And fishing's not bad, but in the context, it's like, you're going to go back to what you were doing before? (laughs) Haven't you been changed by this? So he goes back and he starts fishing. And Jesus comes to him on the beach. He sees Peter out there fishing and he calls Peter to him and he's prepared another meal for him. And uh, he calls Peter to him. And you remember what he, he says to Peter? Three times, he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Three times. How many times did he deny Jesus? Three times. 
And so three times, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I do. You know I do. That had to be a humbling experience to be asked three times. Do you really love me? But what's fascinating is that after that encounter of humility, when, when Jesus brings Peter down a couple pegs, he becomes the leader of the early church. He becomes this warrior for the sake of the gospel. He's eventually martyred for the sake of Jesus Christ. His whole life is turned around because of what? Jesus humbles him. And so this is what Peter says. Let me, let me just show you how, how profound of the change it was in his life. When Peter's writing to early Christians, telling them what they need to aspire to, what they need to long for, this is what he says to him. And everyone, clothe yourselves with what? Humility. This is Peter talking. Clothe yourselves with humility towards each other because God stands against the proud. He gives favor to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under God's power so that he may raise you up in the last day. Throw all your anxiety onto him because he cares about you. Be clear-headed, keep alert. Your accuser, the devil, is on the prowl like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. Do so in the knowledge that your fellow believers are enduring the same suffering throughout the world. What's he saying? He's saying like humility isn't only the way that Jesus ministers to us. But it's the thing, like when I'm truly humble before the Lord, it's the thing that allows me to stand firm for his sake. You know, it's the thing through which God pours his power into my life, my humility. His resurrection power is poured into my life when I'm truly humble. That's when he does it. He says, when you are truly humble, that's when you're going to be able to resist the devil and keep from doing those things you don't want to do. It's when you're humble. Like that's... That's the key. And I mean, the lesson there is that like when it comes to not doing those things that I don't want to do, pride is not a game plan. But humility is. Humility is. I've been reading this book. I'll finish with this. I've been reading this book that I read a long time ago. It's called Through Gates of Splendor. How many of you have read that book before? You should. Tells the story of these five young men who are missionaries, and they wanted to reach this tribe that was deep in the Ecuadorian jungle, never been reached with the gospel before. And so they fly in by bush plane, and when they arrive and land and begin to try to communicate with those in this tribe, they are killed by them, all five. One of them is Jim Elliott. His wife, Elizabeth Elliott, later returns to that tribe and shares the gospel with them. It's a wonderful story. I'll share that part some other time. But I've been reading a lot of missionary biographies because I'm, I want to understand what is it that makes these people tick? Like the people, the people who really say no to themselves. You know, to go to the end of the world, to sacrifice all of these comforts. Like what is it about those people that leads them to do that? Because I want to be like that. And so, I mean, this guy, Jim Elliott, he left behind his journal. And when you look at his life, I mean, goes to this tribe, is killed by them. But you try to make sense of that. Well, these are the kind of things he said. This, this is the guy who said things like this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Hmm. He said things like this. He said, when the time comes to die, make sure all you have to do is die. That still doesn't explain why he went, right? So I've been pouring over his journal trying to find it, and I think this is it. 
Because I, I hear Jim Elliott's story and I think, what an extraordinary man. And that is not how he thought about himself. This is what he said about himself. Forgive me for being so ordinary while claiming to know so extraordinary a God. Humility is that thing right? that once, once God begins to work in you to make you humble, what he's able to do through you is unimaginable. Forgive me for being so ordinary while knowing so extraordinary a God. Let me pray over you as we finish this morning. And I, I'm going I'm to pray um, that God would make us humble. That he would make me humble for his sake. Let me pray over you. God, your people are here in this room this morning. Your people are joining us from living rooms and uh, vacation spots all over the place this morning. They're tuning in because they want to hear a word from you, God, and I pray that they've heard that word. God, pride is something that we all deal with. Man, I deal with this, Lord. Um, I feel like every morning as I... I come to you in prayer. I'm just reminded of all the ways in the day previous my pride is still at work in this heart. God, I pray that you would humble us. That's a scary thing to pray for. It's a hard thing to ask for. But our great desire, God, is that you would be glorified in us. And if my pride is preventing your glory... Take it from me. Take it from me. God, in this room this morning, I'm thinking about those who've come hurting, who have been brought low. I'm thinking of those who are battling cancer. I'm thinking of those who are dealing with grief. I'm thinking of those grandparents worried about their grandkids or their children. I'm thinking about those children worried about their parents. I'm thinking about children trying to make good decisions at school and with their friends. I'm thinking about adults and, and, and young people trying to honor you in their workplaces. Like, God, we come here with all kinds of burdens. My hope, God, is not that we have another burden, another responsibility this morning. Oh, now I've got to be humble too, God. But I pray that today you would take our burdens from us that you would take them upon the shoulders of your son because his is easy and his yoke is light. God, I pray that our journeys to humility would honor you and that we would pursue it in order that we might be like your son who made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant, being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Would you make us like him so that you might use us like you use him. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen.